and welcome to episode 45 of the 1099 for the week of June 6th, 2016. I am your host, as always, Josiah Nodden, and with me today is an editor at IGN and a former writer for Game Revolution and 12 PlayStation. It's uh, Vince Enginito. Vince, how are you doing today? Doing okay, Josiah. How are you, man? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I'm doing great. Uh, you're one of the few people whose last names I'm jealous of. Like, when my name, last <laughs> name is Renaudin, and I'm like, that's a pretty cool French last name. And I heard George it say it out loud, and I'm like, God damn, yours sounds like you should be a spy. <laughs> but but I think I think yours is so much more graceful though. Like yours yours uh, exudes finesse and class, mm. and mine is just kind of like how do you pronounce that? Like it doesn't really sound classy. I, I don't guess think. so. Like mine first, could be a wine. Uh, yeah, it could be. It could be. Yours could totally be a wine. Mine is just like I don't know. The joke with my name is that everyone's always like incognito, you know, which is where my Twitter name comes from because people just kept saying that. So oh, I just played it. That yeah, makes sense. I just played God, this is the this is the third week in a row where someone has done this to me. I had a uh, Carly Vlochion, and her name's like Velociraptor or something on that some dinosaur <laughs> name on Twitter, and she says that loud, and I'm like, God, I'm dumb. Like this is this is this is like when someone does like, oh, Phoenix down. Oh, I get it. It's been happening to me so much. Oh God. But no, your your last name is cool. Uh, and again, I, if you ever star in a spy flick, I think they don't have to change your name. Just like, no, we're going to leave it. Like we're casting you for your name. (laughs) You can be the next, next James Bond. Uh, so for everyone who likes all the critic talk on this show, and there's been quite a few, those episodes usually we get the most interest buckle up because, uh, we're we're, going to keep that train rolling. This is, this is what I want to do this one for a while. Uh, we talked to Dan, Dan Stapleton from IGN and, uh, we were talking earlier, you worked directly with him with your reviews. Um, yes, correct. He's the executive reviews editor at IGN, and uh, that's not really – there's no reviews anywhere in my title, but I mean I work – him and I work hand-in-hand, hand and I assist him in, in vetting reviews for IGN. Yeah, and uh, I am in one of those freelancer groups, I feel like at this point on Twitter, who we like to yell about reviews and say good things about reviews and talk a lot about reviews, so I thought who better to have on here than and, – and, and critical – Things about reviews, which which let me tell you, I appreciate Josiah. Yeah, it will. It's, it's you end it. A lot of you people definitely like don't like that, and I understand because uh, I know you know if someone comes out against me and says like your review sucked, like I would be pissed. But also, <laughs> I, I would like to think I don't do that, and I also don't. I try not to call people out directly. I'm not one of those like, hey, write better reviews, asshole. Like I'm not that guy. <laughs> but I do think it's important, and it's something we don't do a lot, where we point at certain things and say either like this. You know, this isn't a good way to hit, like look at this or handle this critically, and this is like it's. I think it's good to point out the good and the bad. Um, and if so, yeah. if if I still wrote reviews, I would I would want someone to kind of keep me in check in the same way that uh, Nick Capizzoli, who I'm I've assumed you've seen him on Twitter too. He he's one of those people who yes. thinks he cares about this stuff, and I know you care a lot about this stuff. Yeah, I think it's funny. Nick Nick is a I've never met him in person, and it's funny because the, the several times we've exchanged. Uh, on on Twitter, we're usually on different sides of a of a of a topic, but I um, tremendously respect, like I said, uh, both him and and your and yourself. That uh, you know, critique needs to be critiqued. I mean, it's not gonna. We're in the infancy of this of this medium, and even more in the infancy of the of how to critique this medium. And uh, uh, nothing is gonna be gained if by not pointing at one another's work and saying, "Hey, this is what would work better." Exactly. Yeah. Challenging it. We have to challenge it yeah, because uh, I did. know when I was early on in reviews, I kind of got in this set mindset of like, all right, graphics, all right, story, do this, 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 uh, write an uh-huh. outro, done, push it off. And, you know, the, the deeper I got into it, the more I had really strong editors. Um, I mean, I, I did write a couple of reviews for IGN and Dan was great to work with and working with Kevin Van Ord was always fantastic and challenging me. And uh, also like 
very often you get that like people say when your reviews suck, but you very re- rarely get like the uh, encouragement when they're actually really good. And the sure. editor will do that. And once you get that feeling of like, oh, I did something good, you want to keep doing it. You want to get better and you want to look at games differently. But before we really dig deep into that, let's quickly get your origin story. Uh, how did you okay. get into this? What got you into games writing and what really got you at a big site like IGN? How long do you want me to spend on this? <laughs> uh, you know, as much, as much time as you need. Okay. All right. Well, I'm not, I'll, I'll, I'll try to like, you know, it's like, it's like PC graphic settings. I'll try to set it to like medium. <laughs> yeah. Like little, not, little cliff not, notes, not little ultra, cliff notes. Yeah. not low, just somewhere. I'll give you moderate amounts of detail. Um, <laughs> what's your so, favorite? <laughs> 30-ish. Okay. All right. That, that, that's good. I'll accept that. <laughs> I'm, play, I'm playable, I guess. Um, <laughs> so this starts when I, uh, this starts when I lose my last job when I was at Enterprise Rent-A-Car in New York and got divorced. And I was like, well, shit, I don't really, I need to make something of this, right? Like, I'm like, well, I gained, I lost all this stuff, but then I gained all this freedom is the way I wanted to look at it. So I'm like, so what am I going to do with what I gained? Mm. And so I was like, well, I've always wanted to write about games. I've been playing games since I was four years old. I'm 37, so I've been playing games a long time. And I've cared about writing and critique for you know, you know, pretty much since I was in college, I wasn't necessarily that good at it, uh, but but it was something that mattered to me. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to be a, a games writer, a games media writer. So I was like, what the hell? What's stopping me? So I just kind of threw, I did a little bit of planning, um, pulled together my savings, and I just threw my stuff in the back of my Jeep, and I drove out to San Francisco, and I didn't know anybody oh, from New York. So I drew from New York to San Francisco, Stopped at different places along the way, and when I got there, uh, it coincided with the 200th episode of Beyond Podcast Beyond, um, which is you know IGN's big PlayStation podcast. Mm-hmm. And at the time, that's Colin Moriarty, Greg Miller, and Ryan Clements are uh, are the heads there. And so they were doing a live taping. I wasn't necessarily really invited to said live taping, but I talked my way past security and got an audience with Greg and the gang and. Uh, either it was just the chicken wing appetizers that I ordered to, to tempt Greg, or maybe it was my sob story about why I was there, but he, he, he took to me and he said, why don't you come down for a tour? And then I came down for a tour and he said, why don't you send me some of your writing? And suddenly, you know, a month or two, um, pretty much to the day since I got from the time I got into San Francisco, I was, uh, publishing my first review on IGN and, it's just kind of never stopped. Uh, there was a period of time where they ran out of budget. Uh, that was during the uh, acquisition when when they were when News Corp was selling them off to Ziff Davis. Mm-hmm. Their budget for freelance went away for a while, and they were like, "Hey, we can't give you work right now." So I just that's when I went to go start working uh, writing for Games Revolution and Total PlayStation. And uh, and then uh, some time passed, and their budget came back, and they were like, "Hey, we've got money again. Do you want to start writing for us again?" I said, "Sure thing." And, uh, then I freelanced for them total, total freelance time for them was about two years. And then some spots opened up. They said, you should come interview. And I did. And here I am, man. See, that's way, that's super bold to just go and go <laughs> for it. Like I, I, I moved from uh, around the Pittsburgh area to Jacksonville about two years ago. And, but I had a job and I didn't know anyone either, but I had a job. Set. <laughs> like, I think I would be terrified of that, but I mean, it's, there's your movie like that's that's an, it's awesome it's, it's really cool to hear and it's great that you were like you know persistent and of course it's not just like you go there use your sob story and you're hired you had to do the 
the legwork you had to do the freelancing you had to be persistent with that uh when you started writing for ign um did your refuse did your review style fit ign's culture right off the bat uh or did it take a while to ease another uh so i think a lot of people don't really if you're a freelancer you know when you're looking at a site you need to understand what sort of content they write like every site Mm. is different you're not going to pitch the same thing to Polygon that you are, to IGN that you are, to Gotaku, everything is very different. So, uh, so you're saying your style didn't fit. Why do you think that? I was, you know, I was the picture of the verbose, you know, critic who wanted, and I was not, so I was a verbose, b obsessed with, and this is part of. I was obsessed with the checklist. Like, remember you were just oh, saying yeah. that, like, you know, when, when you were writing reviews, you were like, okay, graphics, gameplay, story, go down the list, you know. Um, and, and to, to, to a certain degree, IGN's review format at the time has something to do with that, right? Like, they had those little score boxes at the bottom that, that had separate categories for all of those. And that kind of informed my idea of, like, oh, this is what, this is what reviews are supposed to include and what they're supposed to look like. And GameSpot, so, like, classic GameSpot almost had it as, like, a math equation, like, with reviews uh-huh, tilt right. in it. So, like, it, it felt so formulaic. Absolutely. And that was, like, my thing. So I would write very in-depth about each of the main things. Um, and then there you go. That was, that was how I wrote. And the writing, I mean, I look back at my first review and also structurally, I mean, there's things that, Think times were different then. See now, when I first started writing reviews for them, we didn't have a centralized reviews editor like we like we do now with Dan. At the time, you know, all the executive editors of each of the channels because we were we were in different platform channels then: Xbox channel, Sony channel, Nintendo oh, yeah. channel, and so the ex ed of that channel was the person who had editing power over your piece, or they would hand it off to one of their their fellow teammates to uh, to take a look at it. So. You know, there was no one person who was like, hey, I vet all reviews on IGN. These are my standards. This is my philosophy. And we apply that to everything. It was like, well, how your review sounded and how heavily it was edited depended on whether Greg Miller edited it or Ryan Clements edited it or Ryan McCaffrey edited it. So it was it was just um, there wasn't a lot of unified voice about how it should look. So as a result, my early reviews are kind of rambly and I do like the second paragraph story summary thing and I spend, you know, it's always the second paragraph on the the intro comes in. It's always that second paragraph (laughs) where it's like, here's the story in a paragraph and I hope I don't do any spoilers. Got it. We wrote the same reviews when we were starting. Yeah, no, those are the reviews that everyone wrote. You know what I mean? So it's just like, you know, I look back on my first review for IGN, which was, which was persona Two innocent sin for the PSP. Um, which I was really excited about because I was a huge Persona fan, so I was really happy that was going to be my first review. Um, but yeah, I just I, it's like twenty five hundred words, and you know, which is fine. But I mean, like the first four hundred are just me talking about the RPG genre and how Persona fits into it, and how this game does or does not, you know, serve as an emblematic example of it. And I'm just like, I go, I, I, re- I reread it about a month ago, and just couldn't, I couldn't make it through. I got like halfway through and I, 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 I had no more – my throat was sore from groaning so much. I just couldn't – I was like, nope, I, I can't finish this. Yeah, I, I had so many reviews just like that where you, you – for some reason, you, you, you take a game and you're like, all right, I'm not going to use this as a platform to talk about action games in the modern era and how <laughs> this fits in and how it was built. And here's my story summary. And you end up like four paragraphs in. You're like, I've said nothing 
constructive Nothing. about this game yet. Like you do not, you have read four hundred plus words of my work, and you still have no idea how I feel about this game. Oh, it's so garbage! It's so <laughs> bad because I think a lot of people complain about like, oh, this review reads more like a feature, and I don't think they should. I don't think you should have to separate them that much. But what you don't want to do is you don't want your review to read like an oral history of a genre. Even if it's like, I am playing this random obscure JRPG and here is my moment, guys, where I'm going to bring in (laughs) back in the days when Final Fantasy VII came out and you start pounding (laughs) your fist as you're writing this. Like, you don't want to do that. It's, it's, yeah, that was a big part of that formula. That was a big part of how that went. So how do you see IGN's review style then? How would you define it? Because a lot of people... You get a spectrum. There's, you know, the people who really do read IGN's reviews and enjoy them. There's people who scoff and say, oh, is it going to get a 9 out of 10 like everything else? What 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 kind of defines IGN's review style to you? One key part of it is to be conversational. Flowy prose can be really nice, and believe me, I'm probably more guilty of it than just about anybody. I mean, if you read my Overwatch review, you know there's there's parts in there where I get – you know, pretty well – you know, I would say at least in the case of Overwatch, I give the game such a high score that that a little bit of – a little bit of floweriness and craziness is kind of warranted at that point. But I mean, uh, you know, we try to put the kibosh on a lot of that. We want, we want, we want this to read like it's someone sitting on the couch next to you, a buddy giving you their opinion. Um, it's that, it's a more conversational tone. Um, we, we, we kind of shy away from more academic terms, um, mm. and design terms only because we don't want to alienate our audience. And, you know, as you know, you know, obviously our audience is pretty, you know, it's pretty big, but yeah. more importantly, I think it's like the IGN audience, and this is not a, a, a hit on our audience at all. It's broad. You know what I mean? We have some people who are super engaged, and then we have a very large number of people who are, you know, not necessarily as engaged with games. And, you know, we want our reviews to be useful to the widest possible group of people without them being dumbed down, per se. Yeah. So a lot of the times you can explain something in a way that's simple, that a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life and a lot of different interest levels can understand and you're not really dumbing it you know dumbing it down in any way and that's kind of a key element i think of how we of how we communicate the other thing is and this is like what we're telling people uh, one of the most common notes that we give people when we're editing them Dan and i is that um, information is good but it always needs critical context at all times Absolutely. you know pretty much at all times like if, if there's some some games and some genres that it's understandable that maybe you might have to burn a couple of straight sentences of just information um, to get to set the stage for the critical point you want to make. Um, but wherever you can, reduce the amount of uh, time spent explaining and instead only explain the very minimum that you need to to make a critical point. Um, there shouldn't be a thousand words and only you know 300 of them our opinion like yeah three quarters of that should be opinion should have some kind of opinion packed into it it's such a careful balance it's that balance between sometimes you can write a review and feel like you did well then go back and kind of read through it while you're going through your own self-editing process and be like this reads like a wiki article this reads like uh-huh. i am describing what this game is to you here again here's the story here's how the mechanics work here's this and this and you're peppering just the very end with and it's good and like that's right. not what you want to do. But then you don't want to go on this voyage of just like here's like my 18 references to classic literature and how it relates to this. <laughs> also, by the end, you have no idea how this game looks, plays, sounds, or feels. And it, it, right. it's a balance. I would again, I worked with Kevin Van Ord at GameSpot for a while, and I definitely had 
a couple of times where I got feedback where he's like, all right, this is good, but you know, what does this game play like? Cause I don't know. I just read 1200 words and I have no idea what it plays like. And that's, it, it's always a balance. It's always making sure that you are, like you said, like you don't want to have all opinion or all just like spreadsheet facts. You don't want to take the reviewer's guide and be like, what if I just change these words around, put it on a paper and <laughs> boom, eight out of 10. Like that's, it's, it's not how you want to do it. Uh, and this is something that I've been noticing a lot. Cause I see a lot of, I read a lot of reviews, shockingly, because I talk about them so much. Um, so I see a lot of the gameplay feels right and it's great, or the visuals are stunning, uh, right. which really makes for a great trailer or back-of-the-box fodder, but it just doesn't <laughs> yeah. say much to be like, this feels good. Uh, I'm a big sports fan, and very often I'll hear people say, like, this player's defense is bad, and then move on with life. It's like, okay, why? Like, What about, what about the specific things make the defense bad? In the same way with a game where it's like, Okay, you could say, um, and I've I've been guilty of this too. I'm not saying I'm on this high horse. Like so for me, when I'm talking about Uncharted Four, something about like the, the the climbing and the gunplay is not as tight as other games sometimes. And if I say that, yep. it's like okay, like why? Like what does that mean? Or am I just saying sure. these cliches? So let's say you're working with Dan, you're getting a review edited before it goes live. Is there a concerted effort to ask the question why when doling out praise or calling a game out? Yeah, it, it's it's why and and more. It's why and examples, yes. you know, uh, are the are the two are the two big things. Like having having examples to illustrate. Uh, I think I think and I think those two things work very well together because um, I'm going to be honest with you. It's it's I don't think this is just at IGN. I think this is across the board. Um, there are not a whole lot of critics today who are fully exercised in the art of explaining why a mechanic does or does not work. Yes. Um, but they can start, they can try. They're not, they're not game developers, right? And like, we're, we're, I'm not a game developer either. Um, if you had that kind of training or that kind of mindset, I think you have an easier time explaining the why, uh, and you have a more sophisticated uh, set of tools to explain that why. Yeah. Uh, at least that's been my experience. Critics that have some kind of development background or have studied game development in college usually have a better grasp on this, but a good example can can pick up the slack where maybe the person's ability to really get into the guts in terms of the words uh, might fall a little bit a little bit short. And this goes um, back to, and sorry to interrupt you, this goes back to the, the yeah, idea of IGN having a broad audience where if you are, a, let's say, a former game developer writing about games now, you might kind of do the thing where you're a math teacher trying to teach students math where you assume they already know too much or you're trying to... Right explain right. with this already idea that they have this base of knowledge they might not have. So I think that's a double-edged sword. And again, similar way with an NBA player, when they're doing analysis, sometimes they go too much into the player mindset instead of the person, you know, watching the game from the outside perspective. Right. Like, like so with Overwatch, I, I mean, I didn't particularly talk about how aiming feels in Overwatch. Um, but let's say I did, right? Like, let's say, especially if I was going to talk about the console version of Overwatch, I mean... I could say the aiming feels good. Like, why does it feel good? Okay, fine. Well, how do I play this? Like, do I start talking about things like cursor acceleration or, you know, cursor <laughs> deceleration as, a, as, a, as we near targets or like, you know, the, the really in the weeds, like little things that developers do to console FPS, uh, aim to make it feel, um, a little bit more palatable. Or like, does the average person who just plays consoles and FPSs never really even notice those things because they don't play them on PC, so they don't feel the difference? I'm talking about terms that they have no idea what they are. So it's just like, 
Is that too in the weeds? Maybe, but then how do I talk about the aiming feeling good if I'm not going to talk about why it feels good on that level? Well, then that's where an example helps. That's where an example helps me to, you know, to bridge that, to bridge that gap a little bit. And it's not the same as a good explanation, but it's probably going to be more readable and understandable to a wider group of people. Without a doubt. And I, I do think it's, you don't have to always, let's say for me, Overwatch, I don't, like you're talking about the aiming. Let's say like that didn't stand out as either bad or exceptional to me. And I have this kind of rule in my head that if something doesn't stand out kind of in one direction or the other, and it's just somewhere in the middle, I don't spend that much time trying to describe it. You don't eat it. it. You yep. don't, exactly. And that's, this, don't again, this goes back to that formulaic design where in my head, I remember I would write reviews and be like, oh man, why didn't I talk about the music? Everyone always talks about the music. I should have talked about the music. It's like, well, mm-hmm. the music didn't grab me or the graphics of this didn't grab me. Uh, I, I truly believe that even if your editor doesn't give you a word count, you should keep a word count in your head of how long a review should be. A GameSpot review, I was never given an exact, like, this needs to be between 800 and 1200 words. That never happened. But in my head, I'm like, if I go over a certain number, like I, there's, there's, there's room. I can only hold someone's attention for so long. Uh, <laughs> right. I'm not writing this deep, deep critical essay that covers each individual layer of this. If a layer is not interesting to me, if I'm reviewing a Madden game, which I've done in the past, and this, this feature was pretty much like either uninteresting or basic or the same as last year, I'm not going to waste my valuable real estate on it. And I think that's super important to think about in review too. Yeah, and, and that's something that the that's one of the reasons why we did away with the score box, um, the, with the old score box on IGN is because having those sub uh, categories it, it did two things, right? So it conditioned our audience to believe that in order for a game to get a good score, it would have to be at least good or close to good in all of those categories, right? Um, so that's that's automatically a no no. A game can be a masterpiece and be, you know, not amazing in one particular area. Like it doesn't need to be amazing in every single area to be a great uh, or spectacular game. Um, so that was the first thing. It conditioned our audience to think about reviews a certain way. But the other problem, to me, the bigger problem was that it conditioned our writers uh, to think to themselves, I have to have an opinion about X, Y, and Z yeah. in every single review I write because in every review that box is going to be there at the bottom. At the bottom there's going to be that box that says what about the music and if I don't have a sentence to write in that box and if that sentence hasn't been substantiated and backed up in the body of the text well then I'm screwed. <laughs> so yeah we don't want people to think about reviews that way so that was one of the reasons we did away with that score box. And if you have to like turn the game back on to go listen to the music because you don't remember how the music sounded and the music was not worth writing about. <laughs> like, oh, absolutely. Yeah, like absolutely. if you're at that point where you're like, what is my thought on the music? Like then your thought was probably like the music didn't grab you, which is not this huge detraction. Like usually bad music, you'll notice if it's bad music. But yeah, sure. it, that's, it, again, I, it's, it's, it's important to pick and choose what's important to write about. And uh, another thing that is always important, I think, at least to address about reviews is review scores, uh, because mm. every week there's another debate about review scores. Um, <laughs> there's an argument out there that they kind of tend to detract from the actual body and the, the, the guts of the review and push the readers to focus on occasionally, in a sense, arbitrary numbers. Uh, people start mm. comparing, so you thought Overwatch was better than Uncharted or something to that effect? Right. And it's like, <laughs> no, that's not, like, you can't compare these games. So do you think we need scores or can we do without them? I'll, I'll say this. If if the we 
Can, if, can we do without them? If the we is video game websites, the answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> For, from a business standpoint, uh, I think that there is enough, there's a large enough group of people who, to whom, in our audience, to whom a score is important, that if we get rid of scores, we do material damage to our business. Um, it, that's my personal opinion on it. Like, well, and that's, and honestly, that plays out in a lot of the numbers. I don't have those numbers in front of me, but like we have spent time, believe me, at IGN looking at, um, at different, uh, sites that have decided to go without, uh, that have, to abolish scores. And we look at, we look at their traffic, we look at their comp score. We, and, you know, we think about, uh, how they're doing and we go, you know what? Like that just, that hurt them, you know, and I don't have, and I'm not, Right now, I just want to be make, be clear. I don't have any one site in mind right now that I'm that I'm thinking about in, in regards to this. But I know that every time that question comes up, um, people in product and engineering and you know metrics, you know all those sm- way smarter than us creative types support people who can track all these things and look at all these things. Go, yeah, no, like we're just gonna lose. We would lose such a large uh, chunk of our audience if we gave up on scores. So. Um, and I, I, I know that's not the sexiest and most interesting intellectual answer, yeah, but, but like what it comes uh, down it's to a is smart answer. Yeah, business wise, um, if we want to keep our doors open and we want to be able to, if I want to have a career writing in games and I want to be able to pay my bills, then that's <laughs> scores aren't going anywhere. Yeah. Um, but philosophically, that doesn't mean I want to don't want to talk about it philosophically though. Philosophically. To score or not to score, I think scores are fine. I, I think, you know, sure, you can't ever boil something down into, uh, like, a summary by definition is a summary, right? Like, you've taken something complex and made it into something not complex and compact and easy to kind of push out there and look at and instantly understand. So, like, yeah, no one's going to sit here and say that a score does justice to, to 2,000 words of well-written critique. At the same time, um, it doesn't have to take away from it. It it just the problem is that the problem is the culture we have, right? Yes. We have a culture that we've cultivated uh, from the media side um, that kind of. So here's the thing: when we look at scores, the problem with the hundred point scale is that it gives us a lot of nuance in terms of the we can have a, a nine point two or a nine point one or a nine point zero, but. The 100-point scale will always, always, always invoke the United States, um, the United States grading, you know, grading score, like from schools. Yeah. The school grading, the school grade mentality. It will always invoke that, like always. 6.5 on the IGN scale is a game. So a six, anything in the six range is considered okay. That's the word we generally associate with a six. So if you're a 6.5, you're you're halfway between okay and good, okay? But a 6.5 in people's minds, and they can't help it. American, especially, like I said, there's American readers, they can't help it. 6.5 is a fail. Yeah. Like, they failed. Like, 65 is a fail. And people can't unsee that. And that's why you have this, that's why you have this, uh, you know, the phenomenon of people feeling like anything lower than a 7 is just like, the game is garbage. It's not worth anyone's time. It's the worst thing ever. And then suddenly you end up in the situation where the only thing getting used is eight and above to describe a game that's decent, you know, and that's the problem. That is the problem. It's something that it's hard to like exactly point a finger and blame someone specifically for how this scale has happened, because I, I for one, I'm totally fine with review scores. I've 
never really had much of an issue. I do get the argument um, where uh, sometimes it just completely pushes certain people. It's usually the uh, the very vocal minority to like just yelling about the score instead of actually reading the review and understanding what the person was trying to say. And then it comes sure. to some strange comparison. It comes to, well, you know, are you saying Rise of the Tomb Raider was better than Uncharted 4? I don't think so. And then they start going in all these excuses for why that happened and getting frustrated at people. Um, but I, I sometimes I would like to know how a game is. I don't have a lot of time. I read a little yeah. bit of the intro. I go to the end. I look at the score. I'm like, okay. If I'm on, if I'm especially on the fence, uh, Overwatch was one where I wasn't entirely sure yet, so I wanted to read some scores. Doom was another one where uh, I, I wasn't entirely sure. So I wanted to see some scores, see what people were at. And then a lot of times I will use reviews as, let me see the score now. Let me get an idea. And then if I have more time, which I you know I often do, I'll go back and I will read the critical analysis. I often read the deep, like the very long, deep critical analysis reviews after I play a game to see where I where I stand with this person to see maybe there's stuff I missed, maybe there's stuff that I didn't really think about, maybe there's something he's this person says he or she that I just super disagree with, but it's interesting to me. It makes me challenge my opinions on something. So I, is that just the best? It's great. It's fantastic. There's so many times where like I will see something and I immediately get like a little bit. There's still. All of us are fans of games who – the majority of us are fans of games who write about them. So there's always that bit of a – like the, the, the little bit of an anger when you see someone really dislike something that you feel passionately <laughs> about. And this is when I get in the mindset and I understand to a certain extent the angry commenter. Uh, I, I get that certain thing. I, I think it's sure. when you become – mature and enough of an adult where you can take a step back and be like okay like we disagree like that doesn't give me a right to be angry at them like let's let's see where and let, let me see if it'll change my opinion but uh i i, I think review scores are important for that and again it, ign is writing for a broad audience you are uh you have again i think you're a fantastic reviews and writer of fantastic at critiquing games and the people who like video game reviews can really dig into your reviews and get a good idea of the game and uh, challenge what they think about it but there's also they can also go to the end of the review see a score and be happy with that there's there's so many different ways to use reviews they, they can be tools and they can be these interesting critical essays and i'm not so full of myself and my writing and my and my critical abilities to say well you should read my words yep. no f that man like like i want people to read my words absolutely but look if you've got two minutes and you just want to get a gist of what i thought you should be able to do that like there's no there's, there's no – it's all about – like a big part of it is all about reader service too. That's the other end of it. Like it, it's all about like what are we doing for our for our audience? And it's like sometimes our audience really wants to sit down and spend 20 minutes reading a comprehensive review. And sometimes they have 20 seconds and they just want to get the general gist of what we thought. And we should serve both of those people because honestly, th those aren't necessarily even two different people. There's this idea, right? They're like, oh – there's the real game fans who read all the who read the entire review top to bottom. Yeah. They're the smart, educated ones. And then there's those then there's those just just reprobates who just <laughs> scroll right down and skip all of our hard, hard work to look at the scores and I guess they can have something, but no, no. Sometimes that's the same person. Sometimes you have twenty minutes, sometimes you have twenty seconds. Respect people's time. Give them something that works for either one, man. 
I mean, yeah. this should make sense to me. Again, like, I take reviews seriously, but not in that way. Not in the way where I'm like, you didn't read my words. Like, please leave. You're banished from ever reading my, you can't even look at my <laughs> scores moving forward. Like, I toiled over these words, blood, sweat, and tears, and all that stuff. Like, it's, yeah. Reviews are very important to me, but not in that way. Uh, and going back to the mindset, I talked before about how, you know, a lot of the people who write about games are fan of games. And then there's also the, the angry commenter mentality. And again, like, I think angry commenters, they're a fan of a series or a console. They spend money on it. They take a side and they want their purchase justified. They want their fandom sure. kind of justified. Uh, and that's why they want, you know, if they see um, a whole bunch of PlayStation exclusives get lower scores. This happened during the PS3 era a lot when that game was just getting, when that console was getting shit on for a while because <laughs> it was so expensive yeah, and nothing yeah. really good was coming out. So like every time an exclusive did bad, it was just anger, anger, anger. These people must be paid off. There's no other way. Like I, I think a lot, that's a lot where that angry fervor is born. Uh, however, I've, I've I've also had a few members of the media kind of, and I'm not calling out names. I'm not saying everyone's terrible no, out there. No. I've had members of the media lash out at me when I question a certain element of an otherwise highly regarded game, where they're like, "Oh, I totally disagree," and they, it's that initial anger I get sometimes. Um, <laughs> and I think this again goes back to that root of fan culture. Do, so, do you think that fan culture, where you tend to to a certain extent be blinded by the love of something? Do you think that plays a big role in games writing? Does that sometimes put a blinder over your critical eye where if you are a massive fan of this series, uh, let's let's say I always use Kingdom Hearts as an example just because I think that's like Disney and Final Fantasy and very passionate fan bases. Uh, yeah. Let's say someone has like a Keyblade tattoo on their lower back. Let's use this person for example. If they review the new <laughs> Kingdom Hearts, like, do you think there's a certain element of fan culture that might blind them to... Uh, at certain aspects of the game that might be otherwise bad. I mean, it's certainly possible, but this is where being a strong, where having strong editors is important, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I do think we have a duty to our audience to um, provide a, a, a reviewer who is well versed in at least the, you know, at least the genre, if not the franchise, right? That they're uh, of the game that they're reviewing. And also that doesn't have necessarily a predisposition to dislike that um, that genre or franchise. Um, you know, I think I think if you start from a place of, I think I'm more scared of someone starting from a place of disliking something than I am of starting them from a place of liking something. Because I, I agree there. Because here's the thing: with someone, if you just dislike something, which is totally valid to dislike something, right? But if you dislike something, the person who's reading the review who likes that genre, likes that franchise, wants to know if this game is a good example of and executes the the, the game plan of that genre or franchise uh, effectively, um, a person who's not familiar with that game plan or who just inherently thinks that's a dumb game plan is not really going to be um, true to that. Uh, and there's nothing that an editor can do to change that. Like, an editor cannot make a person... Like, if you're a person who dislikes... Souls games, right? If you're you just have a problem, <laughs> if you if you're a person who dislikes Souls games, and that's not me, I, I like Souls games, so I'm not a bad person. Just want to point out. But if you dislike if you dislike Souls games, you there's nothing an editor can do to keep you from thinking that th- that Dark Souls X, any Dark Souls, is bad because you think they're bad and you don't like that style of gameplay. However, if you are the hugest Souls fan in the world. A good editor can read your critique and say, you haven't really thought this part out, or you're giving it an awful lot of credit 
for just being what it is without too many spelling passes. out. Yeah, too many passes too many... for like, oh, the game, exactly. you know, it's, it's, it's never the game's fault, it's always your fault kind of mentality. Right, exactly. Um, too, too many, right, too many passes and, um, you know, without any real explanation of, like, if you're a big fan of a particular genre or a particular uh, franchise, you should be able to talk about why what it does well uh, has such a positive impact on your experience with it. It's it's when you can't do that. Like, you can give a game as high a score as you want. If you love you some Souls games or you love you some Kingdom Hearts games, as long as you can communicate effectively and in a detailed, insightful way why you think this Kingdom Hearts game is, is special, then it's, in, it's, it's irrelevant that you happen to be predisposed to liking those games because your critique is still going to be useful to people who also like those kinds of games. Whereas if you're, if you're predisposed to dislike them, then your, your critique isn't going to be useful to anyone who's likely to be clicking on your piece. So. And I, I agree there, and I do agree the worst thing is the person who just comes into it like, man, Sora is a doofus. I hate this series. I'm going to go <laughs> review the new Kingdom Hearts. But how about this? I think I asked uh, Dan this too. What about the idea of, let's say you're unfamiliar with something. Uh, do, you have, do you play many sports games, Madden, uh, 2K, anything like that? Um, so only a little bit. I, I, I haven't been an avid Madden uh, player in at least a decade, so you can, there's, there's that. Okay, so let, let's say uh, Dan's like, hey, I am looking for uh, a critique and a review and an opinion on the new Madden or the new NBA 2K from someone who has either you know, not been around the series for a while, just doesn't really, you know, isn't a huge sports guy, because very often we get the, I'm the Madden reviewer, and I'm going to, like, go into detail about all these specific features but for a layman for someone who wants to get into madden and might not have this vast knowledge of it it's hard to kind of parse through a review like that it's difficult again for someone who's super sophisticated on something to break it down and try to go in the mindset of a quote-unquote noob with it so what do you think about people right. who write reviews uh if um uh, how about this okay Dark Souls 3, and let's say IGN had someone who has never really played a Souls game jump in on Dark Souls 3 to review that. Do you think there is a certain value to that? So I'm not going to say that there's no value to someone uh, who's kind of a blank slate jumping into something and, and critiquing it. Um, if that person is a very strong writer and has a strong critical mechanism, and they at least have the, uh, the playing, the mechanical chops to keep up with it, uh, then... Yeah, I mean that can be valuable and that can be that can be interesting. Uh that said, Souls, see Souls is a tough example because it's a very popular uh property with lots of players. It's that would be uh that would be considered for IGN. That's a that's a big 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 franchise. Oh, you'd that's get roasted. A, you'd 100%. Right, that, those comments would get ugly. Oh, it's not just the roasting really. Sure, there's that. Yeah, you're right. That that, that could get really ugly. Um, but even beyond that is the idea that, again, to serve, uh, to serve the audience properly, mm-hmm. um, I feel like Dark Souls is, is such a specific kind of thing that I would, I would be, it would be very difficult for me to put that review on the plate of someone who isn't a Dark Souls vet. Um, but to take you, let me go a different route though. Let me, let, let's look at your sports example though, right? Okay. Um, if Dan uh, wanted me to review the next Madden game, I do think that would be kind of interesting because I used to play Madden. I grew up watching football and going to football games. I do not, I, I have a basic, 
I have a base knowledge of football mechanically how it works. And I think that's important. Right, which is which is important. I haven't avidly followed the NFL as a whole for a while, but I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a New York Giants fan who you know, I, I since coming out to the Bay, it's been hard for me to keep following them and keep watching what they do mm. just cuz their 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 uh games aren't really televised. But the point is, I'm not a stranger to football or Madden. I'm just a person who isn't who hasn't gone exhaustively in depth uh, with the more recent uh, versions. So I feel like that could be an interesting perspective if you have someone who's not just going to be happy enough with last year's game and a couple of incremental improvements. A person coming in fresh is going to really expect there to be a strong video game experience there as a whole. Yeah, uh, and that could be interesting. You know, I don't think I think as long as the person understands football. All Madden is doing is trying to give you if you a good football experience for someone who likes football. Um, yeah. And I think that someone can do that if they don't necessarily know Madden like the back of their hand, as long as they know football very well. I think it also can allow them to question some of the way things are done a little bit more because when you've played every single one, it just becomes the standard. Where you're like, oh, this is this way because it's always been this way. And when you come right. in, like you're saying, like 10 years later, you're like – why does the juke do this or why does a hit stick do this and you know you'll get those answers from these super fans who will say kind of this well here's what the back of the box says but sometimes you want to have that person from the outside who's like this doesn't feel right and even if it's been this way for a while this should be something that's addressed Uh, and i think that's something that you could get from something like that and again this all goes back to there people use reviews a lot of different ways um and i think so often we just have this base idea of what a review is and what it's supposed to do and who is supposed to review it you're supposed to be a fan of the series you're supposed to have like this amazing depth of knowledge about this certain specific thing um and again i was uh talking i was talking about i was talking to carly earlier and she doesn't have this she's not one of those i've been playing games since i was a young tyke people Right. Uh, hers is more like I, you know, a traditional writer got into games later and now I'm critiquing them. And that's interesting to me. Like, I like that idea. Again, that outsider opinion. And that doesn't have to be every review. And uh, I, I appreciate the way IGN, GameSpot, Polygon, I appreciate all these sites and how they handle stuff like that. But I just think it's, it continues to be more and more important uh, to, as games become more sophisticated, for the writing about them to be more diverse and sophisticated and uh, for us to tackle things in different ways. Uh, and f- again, that's that's fun for me. And we were talking before about kind of the idea, this desire to get someone's opinion confirmed, which I think, again, a lot of games, a lot of people who are fans of series and consoles, they have that culture. Do you think that opinion confirmation, do you think that has anything to do with um, the popularity of some of these YouTube channels? Where you see people who don't have, they're not, be, and I don't mean to say like all YouTubers are bought off and paid off and they're not ethical. <laughs> I don't mean that at all. But they aren't beholden to the same ethical standards that most classical or standard journalists are. There's there's kind of a different relationship there. There's a lot, sure. you see a lot more of this kind of excited, verbose discussion about games coming out from people who... uh if let's say they have a smaller audience and a publisher is like, I'm going to send you this game as long as you talk real good about it. And again, not always <laughs> like that, but you've seen stories like that. Do you think that's pushed a lot of that sort of audience that uh, used to read a lot more game reviews and game media like that? Do you think that's pushed them toward YouTube? Yeah, I think it has, you know, like what's interesting about our, and 
I wouldn't say it's unfortunate, but it's it's just part of our heritage. I feel. Um, if I can ask Josiah, how how old are you? Uh, I'm 24. You're 24. Yes. Okay, so so I'm 37. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of a generation of game of, of gamer, but just before you. Mm. And so I'm an old spirit. Here. Right? No, I'm sure. No, 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 yeah. <laughs> that is not to say anything of your level of knowledge, your yeah. your your insight. Not at all. Uh, you're you're great. What I'm oh, <laughs> so what I'm saying is the history, the the origin point of a lot of, of a lot of gamers and of gamer culture, uh, which is a, a you know that's a whole quagmire to even call it that right yeah. gamer culture don't even get me started but i mean <laughs> uh where that comes from is a place of of being outcast you know like i'm not saying that i started playing games because i was an outcast in school um though i was but <laughs> but it comes from a place of saying here's the thing i'm enthusiastic about but for some reason when i'm younger when i'm a uh a seven-year-old kid or eight-year-old kid in school. For some reason, this thing that I'm really enthusiastic about, everyone really thinks I'm a huge loser for for being enthusiastic about it. Other people read Sports Illustrated. I read Nintendo Power. For yeah. some reason, they can look through Sports Illustrated and and look through the pictures of all the athletes they like, and I can't look through the the pages of this Nintendo Power and look at the games that I like. Like for some reason, that's not okay, and that. It may not be the case anymore, but that that sense of being ostracized is now baked in to the to the to the culture Without of you know of 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 gamers. So um, I think that there's almost this this kind of baked in and and built in idea of I'm looking for others like me because I went to a school like for instance you know that was a tiny tiny school my my whole school from from pre K to twelfth was was like a hundred people. Jeez. I went to a tiny school, so I was the only person who was really super into games. And so I grew up having very no one really to play with, no one really to share it with. Um and always kind of being made fun of for it. And that was a that was an experience that made me I, I put myself a lot of the times in the shoes of other people who might feel that way. So like like you said, I I, I have problems with the angry commenter and obviously I face enough of that um, to you know, to make my eyes roll up in the back of my head when I whenever I post a big review, but at the same time, you know, I know that that part and parcel of this culture and it's changing, and I want it to continue to change, is that there are people who are looking for others like them, and that's where that that's where that opinion confirmation piece comes in because people aren't necessarily people who love games or love a particular game aren't necessarily looking for insightful critique. They're looking to feel like they're part of something, and as much as their external, the way they externalize that may be negative, that desire is very human, and I actually have a lot of sympathy for it. Yeah. Um, it's just that a game review is not where you're going to find that, and I would say, like, hoping to find that that's that closeness or that sameness or that belonging with other people who like another game that you like, um, that can be positive. But when you hold on to needing to find it, find you know validation in that specific place in that specific way uh, at all costs, yeah, it can be. Well, we've seen it can be pretty toxic. So, like, while I, it's two things, I want to balance it. On the one hand, I I I want it to change, and I want people to let go of the idea that reviews and scores and and critique 
needs to be something that validates their beliefs. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I also don't like and don't want to participate in the idea of looking down the nose at people who do that because a lot of it is coming from a very deeply ingrained sense of of being ostracized and uh, put off to the side and put in a corner. And people just don't want to feel that way. And gamers, I think, tend to feel that even strong, more strongly because of their heritage, you know, where where the core of gaming comes from. And I think we should, if not be, uh, if not be accepting of that, because we have to change it, right? We have to change that culture and not stay in that negative place. But we also have to have some compassion and patience for it. Yeah, I think it's a great point because it's. I agree that that culture, especially early on, it's. It was not overly accepted. Like, when you're called a gamer, it wasn't a good term. It was usually like, oh, that guy, he's, he's a gamer. Uh, and it still isn't. It, 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 still, it isn't. still isn't. And even, I mean, we are becoming, it, it's a broader term. There's more people coming in. And I, I think that's also kind of related to the pushback of gaming and that gaming culture becoming more diverse because gaming kind of became also this, although it was something that, you know, led to being ostracized. It was also the safe haven of people, of like-minded people, of people who are like, sure. "Oh, you're into games too." So when other people start coming in, it's kind of like the fighting game uh, community in that culture where yes. it starts small and it's very tight knit, and it's, it's these people who have you know been pushed out of this other form of society, not you know physically pushed out, but in a sense, right, right. and they found this home, and then other people are trying to come in. So your initial reaction is like, "No, like this." You were the ones in their mind. They think you're the ones who pushed us away. This is our, you know, this is our spot. And it, I do it like, I don't know. It, I understand it. I at least get it. And of course, you don't want it to come out in some venomous, toxic, awful way where no. you're just lambasting people, like going all in on someone for that. I, but I do agree that sometimes I think we just we see the angry comments and we go, all right, those people are crazy. Those people are awful. They're terrible people. Like I, we do have to come from, I am not justifying it. And I know you're not justifying either, but this, this perspective of understanding why that is, this goes right yes. back to the game reviews of, you know, instead of just saying stuff, you're trying to figure out why you're trying to yes. bring examples of why is this like this? Not just, this is awful. It needs to change right now. It needs to change, but why is it this way? Why is it That's... happening? And what, what can we do to kind of understand what's made it this way instead of just yelling right back. Yeah, why is 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 maybe in my, you know, I'm I'm probably well, I'm not alone in it, but it's not something people say a lot, I guess, but why is probably the most powerful word in the English language. Yeah. For that for that reason because the why is what informs is the everything. The why is the key to understanding, the why is the key to problem solving, the why is the key to progress and to mending uh, mending wounds and fording gaps and building bridges that have been burnt. Like why is the way, uh, why is the way you do it and and you apply it with, with uh, with open ears and open heart and uh, hopefully uh, uh, a healthy, generous dollop of patience and compassion. Yeah, without a doubt. And we don't ask why enough, and that's just it's just the truth because I think so yeah. often we are afraid to we're afraid to say I don't know. Which is a weird thing for I think it's just people in general. There's the the like the uh, I feel like the older I get, the more I just say I don't know, uh, and I think that's like <laughs> yeah. a healthy thing because like I I used to be the person who you're trying to be cool. You're like oh yeah, and you're like you're nodding your head about something you have no idea about, um, <laughs> and you just get used to that because like okay, well I don't want to act dumb, but like you need to first accept that you don't know and then ask why. 
uh, and I think that can solve so many of these types of problems. Um, so 100 <laughs> in, inherent to these podcasts at the start, this was like all advice podcasts, and that just kind of became talking to people about stuff. Uh, but I think inherent still to these podcasts is advice for people. If if someone's listening who wants to do what you did, who wants to you know say like, hey, I like to write about games. I think I'm good. It's a passion of mine. How can I get into this? So if let's say a young games reviewer or you know an aspiring games writer came to you for advice, whether on how to write better reviews or to get a job like yours, where would you start? I mean, of course, I've, I, I know you get emails. I get emails where people are like, "How do I get your job? How do I, how do I get paid yeah. to write about games?" You get it all the time, uh, and it, it's hard. It's case by case, but there's tools, there's resources, and I would like to think this podcast is one. But for someone who is writing for IGN right now and is successful, where, where do you start? How would you direct them? So the first thing is to do it. Like, I know that sounds pretty reductive, but I mean, like, the, you can you can spend a lot of time and you can waste a lot of time and energy kind of hand-wringing over, well, what's the right way to do it? You know, what should my blog be about? Should I focus it on this? Should I focus it on that? Should I go with, you know, uh, how should I host it? What should I call it? You know, who's going to do the art? Who's going to, you know, or you can just, how about start writing? Like just just start writing, just do it. Whatever it is that you're thinking about doing, start trying it, and you're gonna screw it up, and that's fine. Um, but start doing it. Don't get stuck uh, in the mindset of I've got to figure out how to make it perfect or how to make it right from the start before I start. Don't do that. Just start. Um, so that's one thing. Um, the other thing is find find people who know more than you who are willing to tell you what they know. That's um, a massive one, too. Yeah, that's a, that's a massive one. And the, the great thing about it is that in today's day and age, you have more access to, to, to writers and people who are doing the work um, than you ever have before, right? Like, like there was a time when I was younger, I would read a, an issue of, you know, Electronic Gaming Monthly. Mm-hmm. Like, there was no way for me to know how to reach out to Dan Shu, you know? Like, I couldn't do that. Yeah. You know, like, I couldn't just, like, find him. There was no, there was no internet. There wasn't, uh, you know, there was nothing. There was just a byline. And I'm like, wow, I like what this, what this person does. Um, how do I do it? Or how do I, you can't reach, I couldn't reach out. But now it's, it's like, if you, if I'm living in this really weird alternate universe, Josiah, where someone goes, I want to do what Vince Ingenito is doing. And that's a <laughs> fucking weird universe, let me tell you. But, but if we are living in that universe, well, it's really easy. Like, you, I have a Twitter. You can tweet at me. You know what I mean? And, and I'll, uh, you ask me what my, what my email address is and you want to ask me about something. Sure. I'll, I'll give you my email address and you can send an email to me. And, you know, that's, that's, I think what's nice about today's day and age is that it's so much easier to reach out to, people who are doing it. So just do it. Like, don't be afraid to just do it. And also what helps a lot if you can, and even if you can't do it on a regular basis, you can't stay out here because man is the Bay area expensive, Oh yeah. but you should try to come out and show your face. Like if you've, you know, if you've started having a correspondence by email or by Twitter with someone in this industry, um, you know, don't just show up, but you should talk to them about like, Hey, could I, you know, if I came, I'm going to be visiting. Can, can I have a lunch and pick your brain a little bit, you know, walk around, get a tour of the place, meet some of the people that you talk to, like getting your face out there is such a huge part of it because at the end of the day, like, like you said before, I didn't just get this job because of 
you know, like you said, like it was a like it was a sob story, or I got lucky. This sure there was there was there was definitely some luck involved there with how things worked out for me. There always there always is, but here's the thing: is that when a job opens up and literally thousands of people apply for it, you would like to imagine that only the best person, only the best writer, only the best qualified person in those two thousand got the job. But honestly, that person might never have gotten to the table because there maybe their resume didn't get looked at or maybe there was something wrong with their resume and they never got called for an interview at the end of the day what helps a lot is if people know your face and they can put a face to your work and they know you're a good person and you've made a positive impression upon them they're gonna be like you know what call josiah or, you know what call vince like have him come in for an interview like yeah you know his work is on the site and you know, we know he's not a, you know, axe murderer. And, uh, mm. you know, we, 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 there's the criteria. We His work is decent and he's not an axe murderer. Let's interview him. No, that's all you really saying. need. That's all you need to write about games. That's the only reason I'm doing this. But no, get your face, get, get your face in front of the people who you want to be working with. Because when the time comes for an opportunity uh, to open up, you're, you're, you've got a big leg up on those other 2,000 people who put their applications in. Yeah, and like you said, it, it's luck is a big factor, but you need to when the opportunity is there when it opens up, you want to make sure you've already set yourself up that you're ready for that opportunity. It's it's yeah. it's critical. You can't say like, oh man, there's a job open at IGN, and I can just start doing stuff. Like, no, you. I hope you've already been, you know, published somewhere. You you've shown that maybe you're good on camera, you're good on a podcast. You like you said, you've you've shown your face. You know people. You you've networked correctly, which is massive. And again, one of the best, one of the really good points you had there was you need someone who knows more than you to look at your work. Uh, and it's such a hard thing to suggest because it's like, go find someone who's a better writer than you or knows more and ask them for their time because not everyone's going to give it. But uh, it's that's what helped me. If, if it wasn't for those people when I was coming up, I, I, I would never have been published on IGN or GameSpot or wherever else I got published because there were smarter people who helped me out and said, this sucks, stop doing this and help me fix it. So I stopped sucking or at least sucked less. Uh, so yeah, it's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of setting yourself up right and uh, a lot of like grabbing that opportunity when it's there and making sure that you're ready for it. So uh, and thankfully, there, like you said, there's, there's, there's Twitter, there's emails out there, there's this podcast, there's Nathan Minier's books, there's, there are resources now way more than ever. Um, back in the day, it was impossible to know what the hell you were doing. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, Vince, if people want to find you on Twitter and anywhere else, where should they look? So on uh, Twitter, I am Vincognito, that's V-I-N-C-O-G-N-E-A-T-O, different from the spelling of my actual name. Uh, it's a little, little play on words there. Um. <laughs> And then my uh, my Twitch, which I'm trying to build up a little bit. I was just streaming earlier today. Um, is the same thing. Via, you know, it's you know Twitch.tv slash Vincognito. Uh, so yeah, you can follow me. Uh, follow me both uh, both of those lovely places. Great. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks again. Thanks so much. This was long overdue. I'm glad we finally got a chance to talk and <laughs> go too, over man. all reviews and everything like that. It's again, it's always fun and. Uh, I yeah, again, it was reading a lot of your reviews recently where I'm like, yeah, I need him on here. This is important. We need to talk this through. This is great. <laughs> so yeah, thanks again. Hopefully, uh, maybe if a big game comes out that you review, we can kind of go in depth about the critical analysis of that. I actually, um, earlier today, which actually the episode last week, it's going to be weird with the timing. Um, I had a, a long podcast about Uncharted 4 and Overwatch with Mike Mahardy and, 
just because he reviewed both for GameSpot. So like that's always fun. So hopefully we can have an opportunity like that in the future. I, yeah, I know. I would love that. And in fact, um, in fact, what I would love to do is, is, uh, we, we should do a three way, you, me, and, uh, yeah. and Nick, so I can meet him, uh, well, kind of meet him, uh, and talk to him live, and we can all argue about Bastion for an hour. Oh my god, it's a date. Let's <laughs> do it. Oh, this is the greatest. Okay, we'll do that, and then we'll all find a game, we'll all play it, and then we'll all argue about it. Maybe No Man's Sky or something big like that. We'll, we'll find a game, and we'll, this will be great. <laughs> Would be someone, I'm gonna be like a referee in a wrestling ring where I'm just watching you guys go at it, and then I'll just like pipe in every once in a while, but then just straight <laughs> fighting. I want, I want blood. This is gonna be great. All right, <laughs> look forward <laughs> to the pay per view event. Nick Capazzoli, this is Vince Enginito, uh, and for now, thank you everyone for listening. Hopefully, tune back in for the next episode of the 1099. My first encounter with Kevin is a funny one. It was at a press event. Um, no, it was my second encounter with him. The first encounter was was uh, he needed a ride back from EA Redwood Shores. Mm. Uh, he was there for it was some preview event. I can't remember what it was. I think it might have been like one of the expansions for the Old Republic. And uh, we were down at, at EA's offices uh, playing it and for preview. And he didn't have a way back, and I had a car. And so I drove him. I get because you know GameSpot and IGN are. I don't know if you know this, but GameSpot and IGN are literally up the road. From oh yeah, road. like right next to each other. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're like a couple of blocks away. So I was like, yeah, dude, absolutely, no problem. So I, I I drove him, and you know we just had an awesome conversation, and and you know he's a great dude. But the second time was uh, an, a a Beyond Earth um, oh, event yeah. that was held. I'm not kidding you. Uh, it was at a a. A child, more or less a children's museum in like the up in the woods in Oakland. Like there's what? a whole part of Oakland that's just up in the mountains, and and it was there, and it was the funniest thing because they cleared out this children. It was you know I don't say it's only children's, but it was, it was geared towards younger people, and and it was they cleared it out for the day, for for this event, and so Kevin and I are there, and we happen to be they they, they asked they had a guy taking the group around who clearly worked with a lot of children and didn't know how to adapt his material to adults. <laughs> and he was like, okay, everyone, so to start, we're all going to sit, stand in a circle and hold hands. And immediately everyone's looking at each other like, I mean, it's fine to hold hands. We're all grown adults. It's not like that scares us, but we're just like, what is this? Yeah, so, like, what's going on? Like, like, what's going on? This is weird. The guy has one of those uh, conducting rods in his hand where it's like we're closing a circuit, basically. Oh, my God. This sounds amazing. It's amazing. So... When the circuit closes, obviously it makes uh, a sound. This little, this little, uh, this little bar that he's holding, mm. and so he's like, "All right, uh, who's who's got a buddy here? Who's who, who who are buds?" And I raise my hand because not for Kevin, because Kevin is a cool dude, but I only met him once, and I wasn't going to presume we were like buds, like whatever. Yeah. But I had with me my video producer with me, who I worked with a lot, and I was like, "Oh, like you know, we're buds, like whatever." So I raised my hand. I guess. My video producer didn't raise his, and the guy assumed that Kevin was my buddy. <laughs> so he was like, all right, cool. You guys are, are buds. So I want you to not hold hands, release your hands, and now I want you to touch – he's saying to me, I want you to touch that guy's nose. What? And I'm like, what? And Kevin just looks at me like like he's clearly not comfortable with this concept, <laughs> but I give him a look like, is this okay? Like, is this all right? The guy's telling us to do it. And he just has this look like, just do it. Just do it. So I touch his nose, and of course it makes the sound. 
And the guy's like, all right, stop. And I take my my finger off. He's like, now play Jingle Bells. And Kevin just looks at me like terrified. What? And we just had this, we had this moment where we're like, we can't, we don't, what are we going to do? The whole crowd is looking, the whole group of people is looking at us. This guy's expecting us to do it. So he just closes his eyes and I just have this awkward look on my face and I'm just like, do, 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 just on his nose with my finger. And you can't back out now and be like, we're not so close to buddies that I can bop your nose that many times. Like at that point, you got to go all in. Just got to go all in. So I just did it. And that was my, that was, that was like my second time ever, uh, oh my God. ever interacting with Kevin.